Hello everyone and welcome to a new interactive event, a dialogue on democracy, exploring participatory budgeting and citizen participation in the EU, supported by Demotech. Particularly in time of elections, participatory democracy and budgeting are crucial topics nowadays to understand the state of play of democratic participation in our societies. To make the debate more lively, you can ask questions through Slido. You can see here on the screen the QR code or enter the code hashtag participatory budgeting. Before starting the discussion, I want to show you a video by Marco Venosta, project manager of the Democat project. Hi, my name is Marco Venosta and I work on the Demotech project for Euractiv. This event is part of the Demotech project. Demotech is funded by the Horizon 2020 program. The project started in March 2021, it ends this year and it aims to investigate the role of participatory budgeting in fostering greater and more informed citizen participation in local policy making. Euractiv is one of seven Demotech partners across Europe, including academia, media and non-profits. So what is participatory budgeting? It is a form of citizen participation in which citizens are involved in the process of deciding how public money is spent. The local population is often given a role in the scrutiny and monitoring of the process that follows the allocation of budgets. Demotech involves a multidisciplinary methodological approach, applying innovative methods including experiments, computational text analysis of big data, representative surveys framing and discourse analysis. Demotech implements this multidisciplinary approach in seven regions across Europe. In order to produce timely policy recommendations at different government scales, the project's research efforts looked into three separate societal groups. Citizens, civil society organizations and the media, and what influence they might have on the wider populations, and policy elites, and what innovative features of policy making and governance they are introducing to wider and deepen citizen participation. For more information, all of Euractiv's coverage as part of the Demotech project is available on Euractiv's participatory democracy section. The following video will also give you a broader context on the project, its consortium partners and its mission. Thank you for joining us today. In most European countries, trust in democratic institutions has declined. Citizens are feeling left behind and disempowered to influence governments, which they perceive to be disconnected from their needs and more concerned with powerful interest groups. One of the European Commission's priorities is to give a new push for European democracy by giving European citizens a bigger say. The EU-funded Horizon 2020 project, Demotech, examines the role of participatory budgeting in fostering greater and more informed citizen participation in policymaking in a period of increased polarization and alienation from the political process. Demotech focuses on democratizing territorial cohesion, experimenting with deliberative citizen engagement and participatory budgeting in European regional and urban policies. Democracy, citizens' engagement and democratic innovations are at the heart of the project. Participatory budgeting is a democratic innovation that grants citizens a direct say on how public money is spent. The project aims to explore the determinants of effective citizen engagement in participatory budgeting, Analyze the discourse surrounding participatory budgeting in the public sphere as it appears in online news and social networks. Investigate different participatory budgeting methods in practice through pilot experiments and real-world participatory budgeting events. Draw conclusions for both theory and practice and recommendations for policy at the regional and urban levels. Promote awareness of participatory budgeting among citizens and wider stakeholders. Innovative methods such as experiments, computational text analysis of big data, 
representative surveys, framing and discourse analysis and case studies will be applied in seven urban communities across Europe, such as Cyprus, Greece, Ireland, Netherlands, Poland, Romania and Scotland. Demotech aims to provide novel theoretical and empirical findings on participatory budgeting and democratic decision-making, develop practical tools and capacity for practitioners, and produce timely policy recommendations at different government scales. Demotech consists of an interdisciplinary and well-integrated consortium of academic, media and citizen engagement partners with expertise in political science, regional and urban studies, sociology, media and communication studies and computer science. With our partners, we place great emphasis on the co-creation of democratic innovation and production of knowledge to strengthen democratic participation and active citizenship. time to introduce our panelists. Today we have from the European Commission Gaetan Ricard Niul, Deputy Head of Unit on Citizens Dialogue, and Edward Falk, Policy Officer at the Directorate General for Budget. Then we have the member of the European Parliament Helmut Scholz from the left group, Carol Thomas, Policy Advisor from the Council of European Municipalities and Regions, Andras Farkas, Strategic Director at Pont Group, Elena Kalistru from the European Economic and Social Committee, and Basilis Manavopoulos from the Cyprus University of Technology. Now, please, Gaetan, introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, hello everyone. So indeed, I am Gaetan Ricarniul. I work uh, in the Commission on Citizen Engagement. I was involved in the Conference on the Future of Europe, and now I am uh, uh, continuing, following up actually on proposals from the Conference on the Future of Europe. And this is a, a very interesting moment for this event because this week we are launching a new uh, European Citizens Panel on Energy Efficiency. This weekend is starting and we also launch a new uh, citizen engagement platform. So it's a very timely debate. And uh, I will ask you some questions about it uh, later. Uh, please, Edward, go ahead. Um, so my name is um, Eduard Folk and I work in the, in the European Commission in the Directorate General for Budget. Um, and um, I can only agree with Gaetan that the engagement of citizens and, and businesses and other stakeholders is an essential part of the uh, EU decision-making process. Um, she, she referred to some of the latest initiatives uh, aimed at strengthening even more this open dialogue with citizens, and I guess that we'll have the opportunity to dig deeper on those. Um, but just to say from my side that uh, there are mechanisms in place uh, so that stakeholders have the, the possibility to express their views on the design of EU initiatives, including the EU budget, because this is the part that concerns me the most. 
Um, specifically for the EU budget, I would like to, to stress maybe two things to start with. Um, one is the, um, the fact that we run um, extensive stakeholder consultations uh, to inform any of the Commission proposals, but also the MFF package, so the multi-annual financial framework, um, notably on the sectoral acts for each and every one of the specific programs that uh, constitute the EU budget. And second, um, the fact that there are other ways to also participate in the design of the EU spending once the MFF and the relevant programs have been agreed. For instance, uh, cohesion funds, which uh, represent one third of the EU budget, um, are implemented in accordance with the so-called partnership principle, which involves uh, authorities at European, national, regional uh, and local level. Um, social partners and organizations from civil society. Um, and that partnership is an important element to prepare also the common agricultural policy uh, strategic plans. And we also have uh, specific consultations for the annual work programs of directly managed funds, uh, for instance, Horizon Europe, uh, Digital Europe, Innovation Fund, which basically decide uh, which calls for proposals will be carried out to implement the funds. Um, so I'm looking forward to continue the discussion with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Edward. Uh, then now, Helmut, please introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you for inviting me to this very interesting and, as Gaetan said, in-time discussion and debate. Uh, I was a rapporteur of the European Parliament for a, for a report initiative report on the participatory democracy in the decision-making. And I think it is very important that we understand that participatory democracy, also the participatory budgeting uh, line, always needs that the EU institutions should be very clear about the aim, the tools, the instruments, and in particular, the follow-up process, which after the participation or during the participation of citizens in the decision-making would follow up. Because we should not disappoint citizens in the way when they are working, ideas, uh, working out proposals, etc., that then nothing is happening. And as it was already mentioned, I was also the board member in the steering committee for the Conference on the Future of Europe from the European Parliament side. Um, we see that the follow-up process of what the recommendations worked out by the citizen has been, only partly has been in, uh, implemented so far. So there is still a lack of, what is said, um, passion of the EU institutions really to realize what has been done. So the European Parliament tried a lot, also by showing that there is a need of treaty change, that there is a need of calling a convention. And in this way, of course, also to uh, to further develop the idea of how we include citizens in this way, the experience we had uh, collected during the conference on the future of Europe, for example, with the digital platform, which I think was a brave um, um, experience from the Commission introduced, uh, enabling citizens uh, cross border from all the EU 27 member states and neighboring countries to to get involved, to propose what should be the focus of the conference. And that, I should uh, say, must be continued. And therefore, I really thank for uh, picking up your ideas. And probably we have to come back also in the new legislative term 
to all these ideas collected in the years 2019-2024. Looking forward, a very interesting debate. Thank you. Thank you, Helmut. Please, Carol, introduce yourself. Yes, sir. Uh, good morning. Do you hear me? Hear you. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, Carol Thomas from the, this, uh, the CMR, the Council of European Municipalities and Regions. Uh, very ple uh, great pleasure to be with you. Um, CMR, we're the umbrella organisation that represents um, uh, the largest number of national associations of local and regional governments from across Europe. So, um, of course, this whole area of um, citizens' participation, deliberative democracy, elevating citizens' voices, uh, citizens' engagement, um, uh, that's uh, clearly at the heart of of many of the uh, the activities that our uh, members are keen um, to to continue to promote, and um, we've been very um, pleased to see how. Um, this whole area has gathered a real um, head of steam over the, the last years because quite clearly it's citizens' interests as we've seen this disengagement, um, uh, disconnection um, with um, the uh, institutional um, uh, institutional bodies, uh, the lack of trust as well um, in our democratic processes. It's critical that we find ways that we can reconnect um, because of course it's at the heart of de democracy that we have you know, citizens' concerns um, and that are also the basis for change. So it's um, um, it's excellent that we've seen that uh, um, I'm really pleased to hear the uh, that we're continuing the initiative. I was happy to hear what uh, the European Commission um, was saying about um, the initiatives that um, are following being followed up this week um, because quite clearly participatory democracy um, uh, practices that are uh, have been in place for many many years in uh, local and regional governments in different forms, um, whether that be in a dialogue um, and partnerships, uh, citizens assemblies, participatory democracy, part participatory um, uh, budgeting processes. Of course, is um, one of the the most well known of those. But there are many different ways that uh, local and regional governments are engaging their citizens um, to help address. Their the needs of local areas, to look at how we can um, better provide public services and to hear what citizens want um, from their, um, their local leaders. So, um, you know, we can only um, um, move forward on, on this as a way to, to revive our democracy and re-engage our citizens. And I couldn't agree more with what um, um, Helmut Schultz was saying about not just the need to, um, to engage, but to seem to, to be actually taking that feedback and being um, and doing something constructive with that. Citizens need to, to see that, that um, uh, what they have to say, their input, their contributions, their time and their effort is actually making a difference and, and they're being heard um, and listened to and that it can bring change um, to their localities, to their areas um, and to their regions and to their daily lives. Thank you so much, Carol. Uh, please, Andras, uh, introduce yourself now. Hello, uh, thank you for inviting me and having me in this panel. My name is Andras, I'm coming from Cluj, uh, Transylvania, Romania. Yes, that Transylvania. Uh, <clears throat> I'm working with an NGO which is called Pond Group. It is established here in Cluj. And uh, the reason I'm, I was invited, I suppose, uh, to this panel is because of the fact that uh, since 2015, we are working on something which is called participatory budgeting for youth. It is called Command Cluj Napoca. It's a way to engage young people uh, in the life of the society. 
supporting them uh, as informal groups to initiate ideas and implement ideas uh, with funding coming from the municipality, uh, but where the decision is not taken by the municipality about which ideas uh, would be funded, but it is taken by people themselves. Uh, this is uh, something where we already managed to gather seven years of experience. Uh, I'm also happy to share that it has been extended to two other cities in Romania, Satumari and Sfântul Gheorghe. So it is something which is, uh, I believe, growing and somehow probably answering the need uh, of young people, of cities overall, uh, in engaging uh, this specific generation because of various challenges cities have, brain drain, uh, demographic challenges, uh, and overall, the, the, the level of trust and, and the sense of ownership of a city by uh, uh, this generation. What I would like to add to this discussion uh, is that our experience with this is that actually participatory budgeting as a mechanism, it is a very good learning tool. It is a learning tool because young people, for example, proposing ideas, they learn about how to propose ideas, how to formulate them, to identify needs and come up with some solutions for this. On the citizen side, obviously, it's about an intergenerational trust because citizens are somehow validating the ideas of young people uh, who came forward with their ideas. Obviously, obviously, as it was already mentioned before, it is related also to the trust in various institutions, in this case, the City Hall, for example, because the City Hall is sending out the message that, yes, I'm trusting people to decide about what things could be supported or not. And uh, I would imagine that is obviously it also has, um, I would say, a kind of, um, uh, it's a very good practice of practicing democracy. Obviously, we are choosing our leaders, uh, elected bodies, because we don't have time every day uh, to work on deciding about things, resources, priorities, uh, developments, and everything. But uh, from time to time, we need to exercise this, this thing of being involved, deciding on some things, even, uh, even between two elections. Obviously, this year is an election year, so we will have a lot of decisions around, especially here in Romania, but also other parts of Europe. But again, participatory budgeting overall, it's a very good way to understand the need to get involved uh, from time to time, but also to understand the fact that resources are limited. And when we are taking responsible decisions as citizens, we also need to wage in, okay, what is our, what are our priorities? What do we need to choose from? And how do we put things in balance in order for uh, having the best decision uh, with the available resources? So I'm also looking forward uh, to the discussion about how this could work on local level, maybe on national level, or maybe even on European level. As I know, it hasn't been yet tested at European level participatory budgeting. It would be a nice, although complicated effort. Thank you, Andras. Uh, now, please, Elena. Uh, good morning on my behalf as well. Uh, I am today representing the European Economic and Social Committee, an organization that brings together civil society organizations like mine. Um, I, I am coming from an NGO called Funky Citizens, but also trade unions and employers' organizations. Um, I am also the initiator of an own initiative opinion with regards to participatory budgeting at EU level. So we're going um fully uh, ambitious uh, in in this regards we are trying to explore the ways in which the um, uh, mff the, the multi-annual financial framework and the eu budget could be subject not necessarily to a, a, a traditional participatory budgeting mechanism but to 
some um, uh, but to, to, to somehow take the, those tools that uh, empower citizens in, uh, in getting involved in the in the fiscal uh, policies and see whether we can find the right balance between uh, bringing to to the table the needs and the priorities of citizens as well as the expertise of organized civil society. In this regards, I would like to uh, say that uh, not only this project is very, very timely, but also the fact that, uh, of course, we would much uh, appreciate all the findings and recommendations that are coming uh, from, from such a project, but also from, from such discussions. I believe that it's um, uh, a good moment to understand how, uh, while talking about a complicated and apparently technical topic like the budget, we can also uh, counteract the populist um, views and the populist narratives with a very well settled discussion about what we want from the common resources we, we have available. I am uh, a, a budget geek myself, uh, so I understand that we will never have millions and millions of people that want to get involved in deciding how the, the budget should be spent. But I also know from my grassroots experience, but also from the experience of the other colleagues from the European Economic and Social Committee, that oftentimes citizens are smarter than we think. And that if things and mechanisms are explained in a transparent and um, open way, they can get involved and not only that they will feel more ownership with regards to the result of the of the financial allocations, for example, but that they will become strong supporters of those policies um, to, to which they feel that they contributed to. So in, uh, in our own initiative opinion, I hope to be able to uh, come up with uh, with the views of uh, of the organized civil society. Uh, as a committee, we are also um, uh, going uh, full speed uh, with regards to applying the youth test. So we believe that by the end of uh, of the drafting process for this own initiative opinion, we will also get the input from uh, youth organizations when it comes to the way in which participatory budgeting could work at an EU level. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation and of course I am uh, keeping my uh, ears open towards uh, still as much as possible from the ideas that will be discussed here um, and uh, looking forward to also seeing what are the mechanisms in other uh, frameworks. Thank you so much, Elena. And now to Vasilis, who will give us a short presentation of uh, the Demotech project. Please, Vasilis, you can also, of course, share your screen. Thank you. So, I thank you all for being here. My name is Vasilis Monavopoulos. I'm employed as a researcher in the Cyprus University of Technology. And for quite a while now, I've been working on this Demotech project, which is um, a research project funded through the European Union's Horizon 2020 pro uh, program. Uh, luckily, I've been spared the tedium of needing to introduce to you the project and the partners and all this, um, and what participatory budgeting is, just to point out um, two things. One, that at least as it applies to Europe, um, 
participatory budgeting usually only involves a small portion of discretionary um, uh, budgets of usually authorities at the local level. And secondly, that implementing participatory budgeting can be a straightforward and simple process or a complicated and convoluted one, meaning that in some cases what you get is a, a city council, for example, decides that 5% of its discretionary uh, budget um, is going to be spent by citizens and they put out a list of, let's say, 10 candidate projects and people are expected to vote for one of them, uh, which, they, uh, which one do they want um, to be implemented. In other instances, cities have engaged in a far more involved and uh, complicated process uh, whereby citizens meet uh, in at the neighborhood level and they sort of discuss priorities for the local area, which are then formulated into specific proposals uh, for projects to be implemented before reaching the decision-making phase. So it can be simple or it's a very flexible policy. Um, now I'm here to essentially present you with a brief overview of the research results from this project. So I'll move to that point. Um, and the three major questions that we, we were asking uh, for this aspect is, um, first of all, how is participatory budgeting represented in the media? Secondly, how do citizens feel about participatory budgeting? Are they aware of it? Would they take part if they had the opportunity and so on? And finally, we wanted to, uh, to try participatory budgeting in practice um, in the seven countries involved uh, in the project. So just moving very fast to the, the first part of it, representation in the media, this involved first analysis of texts. And we analyzed both online media articles and tweets that contained the term participatory budgeting in nine different languages. Uh, what did we find? We find a general upward trend of articles, of both articles and tweets containing the word participatory budgeting since 2014. And I'm saying there is an increase in the number of articles containing the word, but that should not be taken to imply that there is a general interest on the part of the media uh, concerning participatory budgeting. At the end of the day, let's say a thousand articles in published in a single month on participatory budgeting across nine languages is not a lot. So it's not the case that the media is paying a lot of attention to participatory budgeting. Um, and even in cases where it does happen, then participatory budgeting is something that is treated superficially. Meaning, uh, for example, it is mentioned in passing, politician X promised to I know, renovate a building Y, uh, implement participatory budgeting and fix the schools. So a very superficial treatment and, and very undifferentiated as, as a panacea. Um, so there, there isn't a lot of, um, of uh, high quality scores concerning what participatory budgeting is, what its potential benefits are, and so on. Uh, on, on a positive note, at least it's, it's represented overwhelmingly positively. Uh, 
so I would say that there isn't a lot of interest um, on the part of the media uh, wanting to figure out why that is. Uh, we additionally uh, uh, conducted a number of uh, in-depth interviews with uh, a small number of journalists in each country, about 15 journalists who are dealing with uh, local and regional topics. Um, and while they agree that there is an issue with citizen participation, you know, declining uh, institutional trust, uh, voter rates dropping, and so on and so forth, um, they, they, they understood that this is a problem, and they agree that PB participatory budgeting is indeed a way to mobilize citizens and sort of uh, involve them in decision making. They tended to say that it's a useful idea in theory, but not in practice. And they most often cited the lack of political will to implement in the local area and also the absence of participatory culture among the citizens, meaning that these journalists did not believe that citizens actually would uh, take part in such a scheme, e even if it was available to them. Uh, now, wanting to check that, we conducted a survey that was large-ish, so about 3,000 respondents from 10 European countries. Um, and the, the three main questions I'll be uh, dealing with uh, here are, um, were, they, were people, were respondents aware of participatory budgeting, what it is? Had they ever taken part in participatory budgeting? And would they take part um, if in the future it was implemented in their city or um, area? And this is the major result, each bar representing a, a different behavior, awareness, uh, past participation and future intent, the light bar, uh, represents the percentage of people who said yes. So what's the finding? Uh, generally low awareness of participatory budgeting, uh, except in specific cases, notably Poland, France, and Spain, where PB is um, institutionalized to one degree or another. In Poland, is constitutionally mandated for cities over a certain size. Um, participation rate was even lower um, under 10% uh, across, uh, across all cases. But again, on a positive note, um, at least there was some interest to participate, about half the sample responded that yes, they would take part, um, even though the only thing they really knew about participatory budgeting uh, was a brief paragraph explaining what it is. Uh, as you would expect, there, is, there are significant differences between the levels of different countries when it comes to awareness and past participation, but at least future intent roughly hovered um, around the 50% level for all countries. Thank you, Vasilis, for your presentation. Um, I just want to remind the audience that uh, you can uh, submit questions through Slido. You can scan the QR code that you see on the screen or you put the code uh, hashtag uh, participatory budgeting. 
Uh, well, since we are many panelists, I just ask each of you to be very concise in your replies. Um, I was thinking to break the ice with a very general question, but with your introduction, you already, I think, introduced your job, uh, yourself, and your role in, uh, in, um, in uh, participatory democracy and participatory budgeting. So I just want to start with Gaetan and Edward. Maybe Gaetan can tell us more about the new commission platform, and afterward, uh, Edward can and tell us more about projects related to the uh, budgeting matters uh, that he was mentioning before. So please, Gaetan, go ahead. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Eleonora. Um, I think that, uh, indeed, thank you for giving me the chance to, to say a bit more about the, the, the project that the Commission is, is uh, developing, has been developing in the past year, in fact, as a as a follow-up to the Conference on the Future of Europe. But perhaps I think um, I also had a, a very small time before to, to, to speak about the subject. So I, I just want to, to explain, uh, come back a little bit to why we are doing this, of course, because uh, we are also in an important electoral year, right? So I think we should also recall that the, the mother, if you want, of citizen participation remains the election and what when we talk about participatory democracy we are not opposing it of course to representative democracy and it's important to to recall it but we are starting we have a starting point which says that on the one hand um, our democracies are very much challenged uh, some of the speakers have already mentioned the, the 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 problem of trust of distance with the citizens and the, the increasing polarization second uh, societies are changing simply and we still need to inno innovate and think of our democracy to make sure it's resilient and and fit for the future uh, so it means uh, what we refer to by participatory democracy is ways to associate citizens also in between elections so that they are active citizens not only in the ballot box, but also at other moments. Uh, and increasingly, I mean, it's been a, a long time and since these type of participatory methods have been used at local level, at regional level, and increasingly so at national level. But I'm very happy now that it's taking a bigger dimension uh, at pan-European level as well. Uh, so, of course, um, the Conference on the Future of Europe uh, was really an unprecedented exercise in fact of participatory democracy and also of deliberative democracy and this is another word that i would like to bring to the table because we often now associate these two because what we desperately need in our democracy are these spaces for the citizens to be able to deliberate together and to do that in a space that is safe and in a space that is as diverse as possible and this is why increasingly we see the emergence of these citizens' assemblies, citizens' panels, where people are actually randomly selected. We create a, a diverse group and uh, create the condition of a deliberation for a, a long term, um, leading to policy recommendations. So this is exactly what we have been doing uh, during the Conference of the Future of Europe with four European citizens' panels. And after the Conference on the Future of Europe, uh, the President von der Leyen announced that this would remain a regular feature of our democratic life. So this is what we've been busy doing um, in 23 and, and still now in 24, um, developing uh, European citizens' panels that we embed in the policymaking process of the Commission. So at the moment of drafting, preparing the policy initiative, we associate a group of citizens 
And we are launching two new ones now, and uh, one actually starting this weekend on energy efficiency. Um, and we are very excited that it becomes a, a regular feature, that it's really embedding, embedded in the process. But of course, we would like to offer uh, the chance to participate to in this kind of citizens panels in, in all citizens of the EU, but we know it's practically very difficult. So uh, we have also developed, and this was also a call from the Conference of the Future of Europe, a citizens engagement platform. So the call from the Conference of the Future of Europe was to um, have a place, a, a kind of a one-stop shop, where uh, people would find the information on how they can influence policymaking. So the first step, the, the work that we have done since the conference is to have a new Have Your Say portal. So that puts together the three main gateways that citizens have to participate in EU policymaking. So one is the uh, public consultation that already exists on, on, on legislation, EU legislation, on policy, policy initiative of the Commission. Um, the other one is the European Citizen Initiative that you already know as well, that has been existing for a while. And we have created the third space, um, which has been very much inspired by the digital platform of the conference. So I'm, I'm happy to uh, tell um, Mr. Scholz that, that we are uh, now launching this um, and keeping this platform alive. Um, and the, the idea is really to, to create a space for the citizens to uh, bring ideas to the table, but also to exchange between each other, exactly like during the conference thanks to automatic translation in 24 uh, languages. So, um, and the idea, of course, is then to connect the debate on this platform to a participatory format, in this case, the European Citizens Panel on Energy Efficiency, and to create a dialogue between this wider uh, public debate and the panel so that they can feed each other. And at the end, also, the panel online can feed in uh, the policy initiative of the commission. So it's it's a very exciting week. As I was saying at the beginning, perfect uh, to, to come and, and exchange with you uh, because we have this moment where we are launching a panel for the first time, being able to use this platform to amplify, in fact, the, the participation of citizens. Thank you so much, uh, Gaetan. Uh, I would like to ask to, ah, uh, sorry, uh, we go to Edward, actually. So I was uh, actually asking him to just go uh, a bit uh, uh, in depth about what he was saying about the project on uh, budgeting matters. Please, Edward, go ahead. Thank you. Yes, um, I will not speak so much about uh, democratic participation in general, because my colleague Gaetan uh, already um, gave you the, the headlines. Um, but I would like to dig, dig a bit deeper into the, um, the so-called participatory budgeting, right? Because I think we all recognize the, the potential of participatory budgeting uh, to, to empower communities and, and bring citizens and other stakeholders closer to, to public decisions. Uh, but I think we should distinguish two questions, maybe, to focus the, the debate. One thing is the use of participatory budgeting in the Union, which may take place at different levels, uh, notably local or municipal initiatives, whereby citizens, for instance, uh, propose and vote for initiatives to be implemented through their local budgets. 
And another question is uh, participatory budgeting at the EU level. That is the possibility to apply such a system in relation to the EU budget. And I believe that uh, Mrs. Calistru also referred to this, uh, you know, question. We need to distinguish the, the two dimensions. So I'll refer to the latter one, the possibility to apply um, such system in relation to the EU budget. So EU policies, um, I think we have to recall, um, are decided through representative democracy in the sense that decisions are taken by the Council, member states uh, whose representatives uh, have been democratically elected, and by the European Parliament, also democratically elected, so the co-legislators. Um, and more specifically, the so-called MFF, the Multiannual Financial Framework, which in essence is the EU budget, is adopted by the Council uh, after the Parliament has given its consent, and the relevant sectoral legislation on the specific programs, such as uh, programs of the EU budget, such as Cohesion, uh, Horizon, uh, Digital Europe program, etc., they are agreed under uh, what we call the ordinary legislative procedure, um, which means Parliament and Council agreeing on an equal footing. And the existing legal framework, this existing legal framework for the adoption of the EU budget, or any other EU piece of legislation for that matter, it stems from the treaties. Um, having said this, the engagement of citizens and businesses and stakeholders um, is a very important part of that process, of the EU decision-making process and the work of the Commission in particular. And in fact, stakeholders are already heavily involved in the design of the EU budget. And I would like to, to, to give you a few examples. So first of all, we have the um, open public consultations uh, carried out uh, before the Commission puts forward uh, the relevant legislative proposals uh, that then will be agreed by Parliament and Council. Uh, this is in accordance with uh, the better regulation rules and those involve citizens, companies, beneficiaries of EU funding, member states, etc. And those consultations help identify the policy challenges and how to address it. And for instance, in this is what happened in 2018, when we launched a series of consultations covering all the major spending areas to gather views, how to make the most of every euro uh, of the EU budget to prepare, to prepare for, the, for the, the current MFF, so for the uh, 2021 to 2027 multi-annual financial framework. Um, but in addition to this, to the, to the um, stakeholder consultations, uh, before we table a proposal, there are other ways for stakeholders to participate in the design of the EU spending once the MFF and the programs have already been agreed on. For instance, we have cohesion programs, um, and that is the ERDF, Cohesion Fund, Just Transition Fund, um, ESF Plus, which account for one third of the EU budget so those cohesion programs are implemented through the partnership principle, which means that each program is developed through a collective process uh, involving authorities at European, national, regional, and local level, but also social partners, organizations from civil society, etc. And uh, this approach is to ensure that those actions, the actions which are funded through cohesion, 
are adapted to the local and the regional needs and priorities. Um, and for instance, uh, as part of the implementation of such partnership principle for cohesion, we promote that managing authorities set up citizen participation processes. This is done by my colleagues in DG Regio. Um, and there was a first pilot in 2021 promoted by um, the Commission and the OECD to explore um, how uh, specific managing authorities across Europe in different member states could set up those initiatives. Uh, and those uh, projects took place in Spain, Italy, Belgium, uh, and a few others. Um, and for instance, in, in Cantabria, which is a region of Spain, uh, they set up a citizen's jury to issue recommendations on how to take advantage of cohesion funds, for instance, in this case, uh, to advance on the green transition. And since then, um, these, these uh, technical support to other to, to managing authorities has been continued uh, for, for other regions and for other member states. Um, so this is concerning cohesion funds, which represent one third of the EU budget. I have to say that this partnership principle um, is, is also an important element for the preparation of the common agricultural policy strategic plans, which are used to implement uh, the CAP funds. And those represent another one third of the budget. And um, it is also possible for citizens to express their views on the design of the work programs for directly managed programs. This is what I was referring to in my introductory remarks. So these uh, programs of the EU budget are managed by the Commission. Uh, so, uh, for instance, we have Horizon Europe that you know very well, the European Defence Fund, uh, Digital Europe, uh, EU for Health, Innovation Fund, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, and they more or less constitute another one third of the EU budget. Um, and every year we uh, adopt a work program that defines the calls for proposals um, that will be launched by the Commission to, um, to select projects, basically, that will, um, that will receive funds. Uh, and for instance, uh, there was a stakeholder consultation um, in, in 2023 for the program EU for Health, uh, another one for the future of research and uh, innovation programs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all those elements we need to take into account. And also maybe a, a final um, remark from, from my side, which is to, um, to highlight the uh, democratic accountability dimension of the EU budget, which is also sometimes overlooked because it's quite a technical process. But uh, this stems from the fact that the Commission is scrutinized by the Parliament regarding the implementation of the EU budget. And this uh, scrutiny by the Parliament is called discharge procedure, and it serves to, to ensure compliance with the legal frameworks and the principle of, of sound uh, financial management. So we need to respond before the, the Parliament for that. Um, but in any case, uh, happy to to answer questions and to continue to discuss with colleagues on, on this very interesting topic. Thank you so much. Uh, I want just to pass to Helmut uh, because uh, uh, he was talking about the Conference on Future of Europe. Uh, and uh, so from your point of view, uh, what which are the lessons learned uh, and best practices to and uh, the bad practices that uh, um, that were uh, happening during the conference on the future of Europe? Um, huge question. What what is the perspective? And I, I think all the contributions already heard 
in this debate is showing that the different ideas presented during the conference at various levels in the citizens' panels, in the plenary, etc., is telling us that we have to understand that the democratic basement of the European integration process or today and also in future needs a transparent, how to say it, um, proceduring of all decision making at EU level. And citizens then can understand that there are limits in the budget, uh, budgeting for the one or the other program, etc. As it was already mentioned uh, now two times, the Horizon um, program, unfortunately, the Council, despite the Parliament's position, has decreased uh, the, the money for, for, this, um, for this budget line. And that will be, of course, have an influence on which projects will be continued. So I think this, um, this example of participatory budgeting maybe is even one crucial issue, because then citizens can also learn how we are dealing with the money we have, and that is our taxpayers' money, so far, maybe some, some additional own resources, but mainly taxpayers' money, and for which programs, for which policy fields, for which developments of the integration it is used for, by the co-legislators, but of course also under the public consultation. And therefore, I would say one of the lessons of the conference on the future of Europe is that we should start at a very early stage to include citizens in the development of the decision-making, explaining what is, a, uh, what is foreseen, what we have to deal with uh, in certain ways. I give you a, a concrete example from the municipal level, which I think is very important because there is also the lack to, to link a referendum on a certain project with the budgeting at the municipal level. In Germany, in my constituency, there is now the plan of the Tesla Giga factory in Brandenburg uh, to enlarge the production lines. Um, there was already a huge debate about the de deforestation in the area when the first stage of the, de of the construction of the Tesla Giga factory has happened. Just now, there are plans to enlarge this. Another 100 hectare of def deforestation. And the city hall has organized a referendum by the citizens, and uh, the citizens have said no. So the question will be, uh, will this result, it is not binding, have an influence in how the citizens are understanding what does it mean for the further budgeting at this municipal level, because uh, um, the foreseen uh, tax money uh, from the enlarged um, gigafactory will not be able to, to, to raise. So in a certain way, they have also decided what is more important, the economic development linked to social and, 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 and uh, aspects, sorry, um, and um, in, in this direction, we should be very clear that this participatory budgeting means um, to, influ to, to include citizens in, in the projects to development. And I give you a second example, which I think is very important for the moment. Uh, we are discussing the question of the enlargement of the European Union. Um, reform and enlargement of the EU. It must be a, a parallel process, because without reform, 
uh, enlargement will not be able. Enlargement will not be able without reforming. What does it mean for the cohesion policy, for the budgeting, for the for the money foreseen? What does it mean for for programs which, under uh, the current circumstances, are dealt with the European Union as as long as we know um, uh, this project? With the next um, enlargement, there will be um, uh, automatic if we if we go into the procedural uh, issues. Um, change of Romania, Bulgaria, other countries into net payer countries because the incoming the accession countries will need a lot of money because in the in the average they are much lower under the cohesion understanding. So do we already now discussing with the citizens what does it mean for the future spending of money for one or the other project? And I think this is about the, the democratic functioning of the European Union. And we in the Parliament, we uh, we are going into this direction to, to, to see the enlargement not only as a geo-economic, geopolitical uh, issue, but an issue which will deeply change the European Union as it exists today. So this is, of course, also linked to the question we are discussing today. And that would be because the conference on the future of Europe has been spoken positively about the uh, enlargement. The citizens have said yes. There is a right of citizens of these countries to become members of the European Union. So how we are dealing in this way responsibly to to the dimension. And I, I would say that is an example showing that the, the, the interlinkages between the, the uh, between the municipal or regional level and the EU decision making has a deeply interlinked uh, connectivity. And I, I would say this we should make transparent. Therefore, I really welcome Gaetan that the digital platform is coming. We should really use this in a way to, to include at the early stage of, of the discussion the citizens in the issues and so to collect ideas. Uh, and certainly, I will not to be too lengthy. It is a question about the relationship between participatory democracy and representative democracy. You know, that the representatives, the co-legislators uh, democratic institutions, uh, the parliament and the council will insist on their right to make the final decision. How far this decision making is influenced by the positions, by the recommendations, by the abilities of citizens to come into this decision making process is, is a decisive one. And I would say we have to discuss further how we are interlinking representative and participatory democracy, because I agree very much with all the other speakers that uh, today, 2024, we are in a different stage compared to the Lisbon Treaty, uh, compared to uh, five years ago even. Um, the, the, the crises are multiple, the, the challenges are multiple, and therefore uh, I really uh, want to, to, to stress that uh, in the parliament there is a deep debate about that issues, but very different positions. So also the, the, the representatives have no unified approach to it. And we, we should keep the debate on this issue and the further debate how we can also use the participatory um, budgeting as a tool which is showing in which way we have to develop democratic um, 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 the democratic um, understanding of the integration process. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Helmut. Uh, let me change a little bit the focus now. Uh, I want to focus more on the citizens' dimension of the participation. And I want to ask a question to both Carol and Andras. In your experience, what is the best way to make participatory budgeting process uh, inclusive and to convince the citizens to take uh, part of it? Because, uh, of course, they are very tiring process, they are very long process, uh, and uh, sometimes the citizens, as you all said, uh, are very reluctant to take part in democratic processes. So please, uh, Carol, can you give uh, your opinion on that? Yes, uh, um, thanks very much, uh, Eleonora. Um, well, quite clearly, the, you know what, what we're talking about here, with in terms of um, deliberative processes, um, uh, focusing on um, um, individuals, citizens, um, and drawing them into the process, is time-consuming. It's resource-intensive as well. Um, so, you know, for, for municipalities, um, for, for regions, for provinces, um, they understand that, but they all understand quite clearly um, the, the need and, and importance of what we can get out of this, um, um, this, this process and how it can um, uh, draw in a better buy-in, of course, from citizens from the, in, in terms of the decisions that are taken on their behalf, um, you know, in places where they live uh, and how they can affect change. So I think it's difficult to um, to say specifically um, whether there are um, uh, th there isn't a unified approach. Um, it will depend on um, uh, the city, the um, uh, the village, the um, the region. Uh, but I, I think that what we can more speak about are the tools or um, um, the approaches underlying that. So we've we've already highlighted those um, so far. Um, an approach has to be. Uh, it has to be open and it has to be transparent. Um, there are many examples of that that are taking place um, now across across Europe. I can you know can mention a certain number of examples. Um, you know, in in France, um, in in Poitiers, where they are um, looking at how you um, take decisions on basic issues of how to reduce incivilities in public spaces, um, asking citizens of, for for their ideas on this. So this is quite clearly it's a deliberative process. It's not um, a participatory budgeting but it's about asking citizens about their places if they want cleaner spaces um, that are more inviting how can we do that going out to the citizens um, um, organizing panels um, uh, drawing them in and making sure that they um, that those processes are inclusive um, there's no point in going out to um, uh, your citizens and just getting the the involvement of the, of the usual suspects, it takes time and effort to um, to have all citizens of an area involved. Um, that means taking the time to, um, if you have citizens from from different backgrounds, from different groups, how do you reach out? How do you get hold of those citizens into generational issues? Um, you know, citizens. Um, uh, if you want to have not just citizens who are, for example, pensioners, but who are workers, who are um, uh, uh, the disabled, who are um, um, working parents, what do you do to draw those, um, you know, all of those voices in, how to, to elevate those voices and, and, and make sure that you get across the board um, involvement. Um, you might need to think about things um, such as interpretation, if you want to have different voices and to, to recognise different elements that we can bring to the table um, and that all of those can, can um, be counted as it were. Um, 
going back to the point that was all already said, when we bring together all of these different um, ideas um, about what we want to bring about, whether it to be have um, um, cleaner spaces or whether we take a decision on um, if we want to have a youth centre or, um, um, or whether we want to have an art museum, um, you know, a place in Tartu in Eastern Estonia. They take these decisions. They have a participatory budgeting process every year, starting in April, going through to October. It's very clear. They go out to their citizens. They um, citizens know exactly when they've been doing this now for about ten years. Um, uh, they go out to citizens. People know exactly when the process will start. Um, Two hundred thousand euros, which is set aside for two projects um, each each year. Um, citizens are invited to bring forward their ideas. They are then um, um, discussed, they are voted on, um, and there is an open process. And then the ideas, uh, there are the, uh, a mixed panel that decides upon that. So a mixed panel drawn from um, um, the area collectively to, to decide on that, and that's voted on. And it's a very open and transparent process. Um, and it is also explained to citizens the decisions that were taken, um, why certain projects were not accepted. Again, all about being open, being transparent um, and helping citizens to understand as well. Um, Andras has already mentioned that with regard to the um, um, the project in Cluj, but it's about helping citizens to understand that there isn't uh, there aren't endless pots of money available. So we have to make choices. How are those choices made? Um, um, uh, why do we make those choices? Citizens, uh, you know, um, uh, are, are very um, are smart. They understand that we have to make choices. So, you know, those are all parts of um, de democracy, different elements to that. But um, the way that you take that forward will depend on the area, will depend on the groups that you're addressing, will depend on the needs that you are addressing as well um, within the area. Different areas um, have different needs uh, and different interests. And it's important that um, uh, a municipality, um, a, a town um, uh, understands that and thinks about how um, we can, they can revive their democracies as well, which is all part of um, um, the, the, the building process and the buy-in process, which I think the EU can learn from quite clearly, um, uh, that we need to, to think about at those micro steps, what can we then learn at a macro level to, to perhaps introduce some of those ideas better into the whole policy making process and the decisions that we take um, at the EU level to um, to, to re-establish um, our trust with citizens that um, you know their count their their voice counts. Perfect, Carol. Thank you so much. Now, Andras, I would like to have your opinion on the same issue. First of all, I would second several things Carol mentioned. I, I completely agree with them. Uh, what additionally I would maybe highlight is uh, they might be very not citizen engagement related things, but which I believe are essential for every project, especially coming from uh, public authorities. First, packaging. Don't call it participatory budgeting if you have a better name for it. It is a participatory budgeting as a process, but you don't necessarily need to call it like that. Maybe some people get scared of being called participatory budgeting. Maybe they are they consider themselves not uh, the most responsible people in deciding in budgets because their own experience is that their, their financial health is not good enough, so they might not be 
willing to get engaged in something uh, as a financial decision. But if you call it in a different way, uh, it could work. Several uh, cities doing this uh, are doing this. I know that Budapest, for example, now uh, uh, did it, uh, different packaging, and there was more engagement. Also, in our case with Command Cluj, this is why we call it Command Cluj. It's a call to action towards young people. If we would say participatory budgeting for youth, they might become scared of it, actually. The second, I think, it's, which is really essential is about the very simple dynamics between public authorities and uh, citizens, meaning whatever question I put, that kind of answer I will get. So we need to work a lot in the background on how to design the process. When it becomes public and when we expect the engagement of citizens, the question for which we are engaging them needs to be very simple and the solution which they can answer, uh, they can give needs to be very simple. Like what is the action, you know? Maybe it's a vote, maybe it's a ranking, maybe it's a kind of other kind of prioritizing, but they need to understand what is uh, they are asked for. Uh, we need to understand that people, although there is a difference obviously between uh, various people and uh, uh, various persons, there is a limit in time which they can or are willing to invest in this. So they want to invest their time in this, but we cannot expect them to invest uh, days or weeks. So it needs to be a very simple interaction and we need to understand what is the user experience uh, from this side. And maybe we can import a lot of approaches from the private sector where the user experience is absolutely vital and they are building products on this. In this case, the products in bracket is the participatory budgeting. Another is what I would uh, highlight is the accountability. And my experience with uh, uh, just following some of the cities who launched participatory budgeting, uh, no matter what type of PB was, uh, but it was a kind of PB, was that the first edition was really wow, because people said, well, finally the city hall opens up and we can take part in this decision. But when they are doing for the fourth or the fifth year, the process slows down. There is a huge uh, problem or let's say challenge of cities on being able to deliver on the decisions. So me as a person, I took part in it. Maybe I proposed an idea, maybe it was uh, voted. Uh, then the municipality needs to, to actually implement it. It takes time because of public procurement, different kinds of things. But we, the city hall needs to report on what came out of it or any institution who is doing the PB. Because if not, me as a citizen, I will put myself the question in three years. Okay, but I have voted for something three years before. And then the, the solution is still not implemented. So why did I vote then? So how can I hold you as a as an owner of the budget uh, accountable for my decision which on which you need to follow up? So I think these are really relevant questions. And anybody who designs such a process needs to really think about what is the level of engagement? Is the decision or the level of engagement of citizens mandatory for the institution who proposed the whole process. So it is the highest level of empowerment or maybe just it was just a consultative version, but these things need to be really well designed and then, then later on uh, they need to be follow up. And I think that in a lot of cases, the PBs are producing positive impact, but again, they are not communicated well after that. I just know some examples in Cluj where I think PB actually produced really good results. Like, let me give you an example, the school bus system. So Cluj didn't have a school bus system in 2017, and then citizens prioritized this as one of the, the most important things to be implemented. 
the city will procure the specific buses which can fit into smaller streets and stuff like that and then the network is now working and it was extended but somehow i don't know if citizens realize that this investment which took four or five years until it was perfected was actually uh, 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 sourced or was originated in a citizen's decision it is just the municipality didn't communicate on this later on because this is where and this is where i will come back to carol is that building up trust into in in such a mechanism takes time so yes initially there is there is this uh, positive there is this optimism for the process but then keeping up this optimism and keeping up this trust it needs nurturing it needs time and in a lot of cases i i also tend to see that municipalities are maybe not, not having the necessary skills for doing this and this is where for example civil society or various stakeholders can come in with their own expertise saying that okay maybe the facilitation process or the direct engagement with people shouldn't have shouldn't be done by municipal employees but it can be done by some civil society actors who are really good in in, in this and then you can create some cross-sectorial partnerships which can take uh, uh, this further finally uh, really just one final remark i think what is being decided uh, decided on is essential so we had this experience in Cluj, also with our own youth-related processes, that participatory budgeting becomes a popularity contest, and it shouldn't. So it should be something where really citizens uh, detach themselves from their own personal interest, maybe, and they are able to compare some proposals or some priorities and to decide together. For example, I wouldn't see uh, European-level PB happening about questions which are more relevant for one region of Europe than for the other region, because then it will become a little bit, and sorry for the parallel, like Eurovision. It's like I'm, I'm voting for my friend or my, uh, or my neighboring country. I cannot vote for myself, obviously, but it becomes a popularity contest. So we need to, we need to be aware about how we can detach people a little bit from their own personal interests and really uh, urge them to really consider the options and then to, to really decide about, okay, this is more important than the other one, and then uh, being aware of the final decision which comes up uh, collectively. Perfect. Thank you so much for your contribution. Now I want to go to Elena and uh, I want still to keep focus on the citizens, but uh, I want to differentiate the different level of political participation. So uh, there is a strong engagement of citizens participation, I think, in terms of practices at local level. Uh, the more the level is high, so we arrive at regional, national and EU level, the harder, I think, from my point of view, uh, is to involve citizens in legislation. So. Elena, I want to ask you, what is the most effective way to involve uh, EU, uh, citizens in EU politics and EU legislation from your point of view? Here I would agree with Andras. There is an entire role to be played by organized civil society. Uh, and by organized civil society, I'm not only referring to NGOs, uh, but I'm also taking into account the trade unions or the, or the business associations, which do have a role to play. Uh, and they should be seen as facilitators, uh, especially for uh, high levels of the in, in the policy making process, because they can act both uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that it's not a popularity contest, uh, contest uh, only, uh, but also they can make sure that um, the proposals are grounded in uh, a larger policy framework. To this end, I think that. 
uh, also at European level institutions like the ESC uh, that I have recently joined, by the way, so I, I'm not very um, uh, well aware of, uh, of the entire historical process, but I see that there is uh, an openness uh, towards youth organizations, towards uh, grassroots civil society organizations. But such institutions can uh, can act as, uh, as a facilitator or as a curator of some of these uh, processes. At the same time, I would say that it's a paradox to to a certain level when we are seeing that what interests uh, citizens. And I, I think that a good parallel here is related to uh, what is happening with, uh, with the uh, agenda, uh, uh, the, the public agenda and with, with the media. Uh, there, when, when you go at the grassroots level, for example, you see more people that are aware of um, who is uh, uh, the main contestant in uh, the uh, U.S. elections, for, for example, in the primaries, which is very, very remote, rather than who is the uh, contestant in uh, their own uh, city. Uh, it's a paradox uh, because, in theory, the, the local politics and the local policies should be closer to the citizens. But at the same time, the advent of social media, the internet, and so on and so forth, made the interests of citizens much broader. And I think that uh, the EU decision ma decision makers should uh, tap into, into this trend and should be um, uh, uh, leading a conversation towards what do we want from Europe, also from, from this perspective. At the same time, I would agree with um, uh, what was mentioned at the very beginning of our conversations uh, with regards to the cohesion policy. I think the cohesion policy, besides being uh, and representing a, a large, a large chunk of the of the EU budget, uh, is also um, a laboratory of testing various uh, participatory mechanisms. And I think that we have there many uh, well-established frameworks in which we can also add other layers of, uh, of consultation. Moreover, I think that besides having all this uh, potential from the already existing instruments, I, uh, I believe that there is um, uh, some, let's say, um, soul-searching we have to do as, uh, as organized civil society, as organized um, uh, trade unions and, uh, and employers' organizations as well, because I believe that, uh, that there is, uh, to, to a certain extent, um, this ten tendency towards um, believing that there, it is, um, it is uh, almost impossible not to, to get into the populist uh, realm with, with these discussions because it is about money and because, yes, it does tend to become a competition between the most sparkling um, projects you can see. So here there is, um, I believe, uh, a good moment right now uh, at, at EU level, not only because we have the, the elections and we will have a new round of elected uh, uh, officials, a new commission, uh, but also because indeed we are, uh, and this will sound like a cliche, 
uh, but it's a cliche because it's true. But we are at the, at the crossroads. And I think that with the, the entire discussion about enlargement, yes, we need to discuss about how we reform the EU um, in order to, to make it more representative and in order to make it uh, more fit for um, the demands uh, of the citizens. But also there is an entire discussion about how the new multi-annual financial framework would, would look like. So while it seems like a, a technical uh, uh, conversation to be um, uh, held with, I don't know, large groups of citizens, I believe we can uh, design a multi-layer um, framework in which organized civil society uh, can go uh, in deeper at the grassroots level and try to involve as many citizens as possible in a structured and uh, open process. Because let's not forget, and I think that we, we should underline this as much as possible, when we are talking about participatory budgeting, yes, we are only talking about one of the potential tools. If we want uh, real uh, empowerment, if we want uh, citizens that feel that they have an ownership over the EU policies, then we have to have several elements. We need to have transparency, we need to have the participation uh, pillar, but we also need to have oversight possibilities. So we, we need to empower also bodies like the European Parliament or the National Parliament or the regional and local uh, councils in making sure that what what uh, resulted from these consultations with citizens are then implemented and put forward as uh, as real actions from from the institutions uh, it sounds like a complicated process and it is because if it would if it would have been that simple we uh, we wouldn't have this this conversation right now but um at, at the end of the day i don't think we have any other options uh, other than going and uh, dissecting whatever instruments uh, have worked at local, regional or European level and see how to make sure that those are scaled then also at EU level. Thank you so much for your uh, intervention. I want just to go back to Vasilis uh, about what he said on the culture of participatory democracy. What do you mean by that? And would you like to ask something else uh, beyond your presentation? Please, go ahead. Um, I was making a note on the, on the absence of participatory culture among the citizenry in various countries in Europe. All these participatory schemes are not common in some places, uh, like Greece, like Cyprus, um, whereas in other cases they are, the UK, uh, the Netherlands and so on. Um, and in the case of the former, when it's an, so when it's an unusual process uh, that the population is unfamiliar with, there is some suspicion towards it. Is it possible? Um, will it actually have any impact? Will my participation actually matter for any decisions made? Um, so let me second the comments made by uh, Ms. Thomas and Mr. Farkash, um, that any kind of participatory scheme of this sort, any kind of organizing authority needs to um, 
in order to ensure some success, it needs to keep in mind the resources required to run the process, to commit to actually providing these resources and the technical know-how. Um, it, it needs to invest the process uh, with a sense of efficacy, uh, meaning uh, to commit to implementing decisions made, not, not simply treat them as a, a consultation. Um, to the extent that that's possible, it needs to commit to trying to involve as many people as possible, uh, not just the usual suspects, uh, well-educated, older, um, higher incomes and so on. And it also needs to communicate the process better um, and the results. Uh, otherwise, citizens tend not to uh, take these things uh, as seriously as they should. That's it. Thank you so much for uh, your intervention. I just want to go back on Slido, uh, which again, if you want to submit a question, you can scan the QR code or to put, you can put the code hashtag participatory budgeting. So I asked the question to Carol Thomas by Juliette Burton. Um, in practice, how can the EU assess the progress and impacts of decisions made by citizens taking part in the participatory budgeting? Please, Carol, go ahead. Could you repeat the question? Uh, Absolutely. Can you so the question is, in practice, how can the EU assess the progress and impacts of decisions ma made by citizens taking part in the participatory budgeting? Okay, all right. So th this th this would then be um, about the the Commission evaluating or assessing decisions that have been um, taken at the um, the local, the municipal level. I'm I'm reading it in that way because quite clearly the whole area of participatory budgeting, participatory processes, democracy has been underway for many many years um, um, already, um, and um, quite clearly I know that Vasilisa uh, has stressed the fact that there are some areas of Europe where it is still um, you know very unknown. And, and um, that is, um, you know, a pity that that is the case because quite clearly um, all parts of Europe need to, um, to have that opportunity to see how um, this can really make a difference and how it can bring change. Um, and what I think that um, what the, the, the European um, institutions or the Commission in particular could, could probably do with is, um, is going and, and, and looking at specific examples across um, uh, uh, Europe, where it has taken place in different types of, of areas. I mean, we've already um, mentioned certain countries where it is quite, um, um, it, it, it is a, a process, it is quite well understood and, and um, um, operational, whether that be, um, you know, in, in France, um, there are um, um, in the UK, um, um, I've already mentioned Estonia as well, in Germany. Um, but um, often uh, the idea is about uh, as we move forward, um, and where I think the Commission could um, look at uh, assessing the outcomes of, uh, of those is really after a period of time, um, how how regularly are um, our citizens continuing to engage with the process? 
um, what are um, what are the the elements, the factors that that determines that citizens um, find the process useful, that they actually do engage with it, um, um, that they. Uh, agree or, or feel that the the outcomes, whether they maybe are outcomes that they didn't necessarily, if, if we're talking specifically um, about a, um, uh, let's look at the urban area um, in Estonia, in Tartu, they take um, uh, they have citizens assemblies which look at how to evolve and, and have impacts on the urban area. For example, um, uh, the creation of uh, cycle lanes, cycle paths. That's a decision that is taken on the basis of a citizens um, a citizens assembly um, that is being run. Um, um, the, the local authority, Tartu City Council, have to, um, as I say, the process will be run um, over a specific pe uh, period of time. Um, citizen will be drawn in. The city council will think about all of the elements that they need to, to do. They will know their, their, their populations. They will understand them, what needs to be in place to draw in those citizens, um, what time, the, the timing of organising those consultations, those dialogues. Um, what do they need to do to make it um, available to, um, you know, working parents and not just those who are available, um, perhaps, you know, during uh, the daytime? Um, uh, what is, uh, how do they draw in parts of the, you know, community that um, um, would like maybe to have great you know uh, access to be able to um to to use those uh, cycle paths but for whatever reason um find it difficult to to do that so you have to think about all of the different stages of um you know what is it that you want to um, achieve at the end of, of the day how to draw in all of those um and the different groups and the elements who who um, need to take part in that um drawing upon the budget that um, um, you know what budget you have available for that, and I would certainly say I'm glad to hear that the um, you know once again that the commission are going forward in um, with this um, supporting participatory and deliberative processes, um, but it would be probably quite helpful I, I think um, if the commissioner in some way I know that they're looking um, at the skills that are needed for um, to. Um, the, the skills that are needed, for example, by local and municipal councils, but whether the Commission in some way could make some budgetary um, uh, facility available to help um, um, spread that knowledge um, more widely about what's happening you know, on the ground. We're doing that within CMR, with our platform, with our members, sharing that information, but perhaps as, um, um, the, the Commission as a multiplier could maybe um, look to see um, uh, you know what, what what works well, what works less well, and to to explore the reasons for that, and that could help take us forward with these processes and and help those um, countries who are maybe feeling suspicious about it to learn um, and and to see um, and to exchange on how they can maybe. Um, take on some of those um, uh, ways of working at the, the local level to incorporate those um, within their own systems. Uh, so that would be a call to, you know, particularly the, the, the Commission to maybe think about that on top of what you're already doing, um, I know, and, and, and supporting these processes. Thank you so much. I just want to um, uh, pass the um, to Gaetan that has to leave. And just if you want to share with us a final remark, please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much. And thank you for the last call to the Commission. I, I wanted to 
um, in fact, um, emphasize again this idea of culture change that indeed we, we need. Um, and um, I think uh, to be complete in the panorama I was making of the efforts that have been made since the Conference of the Future of Europe um, and during the conference, of course, uh, I should mention also that in the Defense of Democracy package, uh, which you may have seen, uh, there is actually a recommendation to the member state on uh, both uh, on, on civic participation, so both uh, with the angle of organized civil society and with the angle of participatory democracy and direct citizens participation. Um, and uh, you will see that there, you know, this is a, a document that can be useful also to, to, to trigger uh, change in culture change um, at member state or, or regional level. And one message, what is important in the culture change for me, and I think it was also touched on by other speakers, it's really this idea that there is space for everyone in, in this democracy, that we are not opposing participatory democracy with representative democracy, but we are not also opposing uh, the direct citizen participation to a organized civil society. This would be, uh, there's a space for civil dialogue. There is a space for citizens' participation. I agree that we should probably reflect now on creating better synergies between the processes that, that are being um, developed. Uh, but I think there is, there is really a, a space for everyone and that our democracies desperately need it, uh, need uh, uh, that we, uh, look uh, at how it's changing and how it's evolving. And I think just the way, uh, you know, citizens nowadays uh, get their information, the way uh, uh, the, the social media bubbles, you know, all these phenomena, we cannot ignore them. We have to, as I was saying at the beginning, build a democracy that is fit for the future and there some innovation and, and, and trigger some, some, new, some new tools. This does not mean that what we were doing before should be abandoned, but it's it's an addition. It's to make our democracy uh, stronger overall. Um, and I wanted to uh, say a last word also on transparency. I also heard it, I think, from Helmut Scholz. I think it's a key word as well, uh, because we, we were saying, yes, of course, for the citizens' participation needs to be meaningful both for the policymakers, it has to see that it's actually useful and we are also, you know, uh, creating a culture change also inside the commission to convince our colleagues that this is useful for the quality of their policymaking, but it needs to be meaningful also for the citizens. And, and we will never convince about citizens' participation and make sure that citizen participation has the effect of raising trust and the sense of belonging and working uh, together. Um, if we don't also uh, are not transparent about what we do with the recommendations and indeed what we are really trying to embed in the policy making process is not only the participatory format or process in itself, but a long process of first there is a participation, there is an input, and then what do we do with it? So we will, and we will use a platform for that also to show that there is a follow-up process. And most importantly, there is a feedback to citizens on this follow-up because I've seen so many participatory processes where there is a follow-up, but the citizens are not aware of it. And this is really the, easy, the transparency about what we are going to do with the recommendation is key. 
In that transparency, we also need to remind that because we are in a representative democracy, many times the public authority keeps the last word. But we need also to explain why we took some of the recommendations on board, why some perhaps could not be taken on board. And this is a dialogue with citizens that will lead uh, step by step to a more mature democracy, also where citizens can understand some of the constraints, but we are where we are also um, accountable and transparent about this participatory process that we put in place. And I think I will stop here. Thank you very much for inviting me here. I'm very sorry I have to leave, but initially it was forcing to, to be uh, finished at 11 and I had another important meeting. Thank Absolutely you very much. no problem, uh, Gaetan. Thank you for being with us. I want just to pass to a new question on Slido, actually, that uh, uh, is in line uh, in, with our, our, our debate uh, on uh, the different level of involvement of citizens in the, um, in the participatory democracy processes. So uh, here, uh, uh, Christoph, Christopher Williams is asking uh, to everyone, but I will pick up uh, some, someone to reply. Um, the um, involvement of citizens in participatory budgeting, uh, uh, it should be only local issue or it should be EU-wide matters? Uh, and he's mention, mentioning defend spending, uh, considering Trump uh, uh, could be the next president of the US, uh, but also, for example, the cost of the enlargement. And I want also to mention that yesterday, Ursula von der Leyen mentioned that citizens want more, more money to spend more money on defense. So uh, I think it's a pressuring matter to see how citizens uh, want to spend money uh, at the EU level. So maybe I can start with um, Eduard, and then we can move to uh, Helmut to have uh, more the institutional uh, side uh, for our reply. Yes, thank you. Um, indeed, very good question. So um, I've, expre I've explained, I, I tried to explain in my previous intervention, um, what are the ways in which citizens and stakeholders can participate um, in the EU decision-making process, uh, and they can also influence EU spending. Uh, and that related to cohesion, but also agricultural policy and also directly managed programs where we have in particular the European Defence Fund. Um, but I think the question is, uh, the way I read it at least, um, is more forward looking, right? And this links uh, to the point made by uh, Mr. Schultz that, and by uh, Mrs. Uh, Calistra, if I'm not mistaken, Calistro, apologies, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that we should start thinking um, about the future, about the next MFF. We should uh, turn to, uh, to, to the upcoming years and um, the, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, um, citizens uh, will be an essential part of this discussion, uh, and uh, it's, it's more important than ever uh, to, to have an open debate about how we want to organize the next MFF, because, I mean, you, you might have the feeling that this MFF um, will continue uh, until 2027 and that this is far away, but in fact, it's not so far away. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's a long process. Uh, the 
want to adopt the um, the MFF uh, legislative package because uh, it, it involves you know the proposals to to work and to adopt the proposals uh, within the Commission and then um, also uh, the negotiations with the Parliament and with the Council. Um, so in fact, uh, we we should start uh, the process and we're starting the process now. We just uh, adopted the midterm revision of this current MFF uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or at least there was a political agreement on that. Um, and now we can um, close that chapter and start thinking about the future. Um, and basically, we'll, we'll need to factor in the, the questions on defense, uh, the geopolitical context, we'll need to factor in enlargement, um, we'll need to, to to see how the EU budget can continue to um, to address all the, the crises and challenges that we're being faced with, while at the same time uh, continue, continuing to, to support uh, the green and the digital transition, the, the um, social and territorial cohesion, uh, agriculture, etc. And uh, I would also uh, take the opportunity to uh, to um, agree also with Mr. Scholz, I believe, when when he uh, mentioned or he he pointed out that we should better explain what the EU budget does for citizens. I could not agree more. And this is a way to to promote citizen participation in the design of EU spending. Um, and uh, I believe that there is a there's not a lot of awareness what the EU budget is doing, you know, at all levels for, for citizens, maybe beyond uh, Erasmus and beyond uh, Creative Europe, which is our program to support uh, media industries in, in Europe. And sometimes you see the logo when you go to the cinema. Uh, but beyond that, there's much more. So I would, uh, I would hope that uh, we can count on uh, much on on a higher level of uh, intensity in terms of um, citizens uh, engagement but also other types of uh, stakeholders for the design of the of the next mff i don't have the answers how we should organize the next mff uh, because this is indeed a, a question that we'll have to discuss all together thank you so much uh, please elmut would you like to add something on it um, yeah, yeah, I see that there is a broad understanding, a joint even, I would say, or common understanding that we are agreeing very much on the meaning of this uh, PB uh, uh, challenge, even if Andras Farkas has said we should find a new name for this. Um, but in the understanding uh, that the budget needs the participation of citizens, I would recommend that we, in a certain way, should keep the idea because that makes a certain transparent understanding what we are calling or what we are inviting for and uh, so that and, and coming back to the question the original question you, you raised from Slido I would say it should not be put against each other it should be even at the municipal level a lot of decisions are linked to the lawmaking in the European Union uh, and and so the, the, the laws, the regulations we are adopting have a direct influence of the daily life of the citizens at the uh, at the ground. So in the member states, um, and therefore I would say, what is also the the, the challenge uh, to all stakeholders at at various levels, 
to, to, to transport in a transparent way how these interlinkages um, are taken by them to find the answer to the needs, to the concerns, to the requests, to the wishes of people. And um, therefore, if we are speaking about the money which is needed for uh, the continuation of the support for the Ukrainian people, then we have to explain where the money coming from. What does it mean? Uh, do we spend the money for the cohesion policy? Do we spend the money for the for the defense issues, for the arms industries, etc.? Uh, who 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 are the benefiters of if we are increasing the production of arms? Is the money and the taxes these arms industry are paying back maybe into the national or in the European budget, which must be discussed? and then could be also used for other uh, budget lines, etc. So the complexity uh, of the budgeting, I think, is just now on the stake. And remember the, the protest of the farmers in front of the European institutions just two or three weeks ago have demonstrated that they felt alone because there was not really a, um, an, an inclusion of the concerns of the local farmers via the, uh, the farmer associations, big ones and smaller ones, uh, with a different uh, economic and, 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 I would say, in a certain way, also social uh, um, um, uh, reality towards uh, the decision-making. Uh, and here, I think, uh, this participatory democracy could become really a tool, including the budgeting issues, for for developing democracy. And I want to be frank, in the European Parliament we have a, probably a majority of members who are saying, no, the budget right is our right. And we are the elected representatives. And the same I would uh, describe to the Council from my experience. So finally, they decide according their national interest. We are maybe are more in the, in the situation that we can really find solutions and, and, and issues where we are covering the European community uh, interest, and that is already a clash. And uh, as we are not uh, somewhere in the air, but um, included in a concrete space uh, where we have to find political solutions, uh, the, the emerging of right populist, right extreme forces in a lot of member states means also they are using the lack of democratic backing of the decisions which are made and why they are made, and in which may, way citizens should have more uh, abilities to influence this decision-making uh, process. And that is uh, true both at the political level probably, but of course in particular also with the budgeting, with the money, uh, because um, this is the authorities of the institutions, uh, and the institutions should be open, and they should, they should how to say it, uh, re-educate themselves to understand that what they are doing is directly um, involving, the, the, the impacting the, the life of the citizens. And here I think uh, we are on a stake in a very important point of the democratic development of the European Union. We should not underestimate the meaning of this task in the next weeks, months, um, and probably also the next five years. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elmut. Uh, 
we are at the last uh, stage of our debate, which I really find enjoying. So thank you so much uh, for your all contribution. Now I would like to ask each of you a final remark, and I would like to start uh, from Elena. Please, go ahead. I would, uh, I would finish by uh, saying that um, I think it's a good sign, the fact that we are all reflecting uh, at this uh, moment on uh, the tools that uh, might bring more participation to, to the fiscal policies of the European Union. I think we, we are seeing um, uh, at least a common understanding with regards to the need to have such mechanisms when it comes to citizens and when it comes to involving them at the EU level. I also believe that um, as, uh, as the song goes, uh, it's all about the money <laughs> or uh, to stay on European uh, grounds. Uh, money, money must be funny in the rich man's world. Uh, it's no, no longer a question for rich men's uh, right now. I think that this is the um, advantage we as Europeans have. And I think we should understand the fact that uh, we can no longer keep the decisions related to how the taxpayers' uh, money is spent only at a very technical uh, level. What if if there is something we should we should all understand is that. Uh, civil society, either organized or at large, uh, should be uh, put at the same table and be made part of the decision-making process when it comes to the budgets. Thank you so much. Uh, please, Vasilis. Um, yes, a final remark. Um, since there, there was a, a bit of a discussion about implementing Scheme, a scheme like participatory budgeting at the EU level. Um, I feel I should point out the, the need to understand and take into account when organizing and designing such schemes. To, to keep, in, keep in mind the, that the national and local context also matter. So uh, people have different expectations from such processes um, and of different expectations of what they, they will look like and what their outcome will be. And I'm not sure that it uh, it will be possible to have a, a pan-European, say, participatory budgeting um, that works as well, equally well uh, in all different national contexts. I just uh, much, Vasilis. Uh, now, please, Andras. I don't know if uh, Demotech covered it, uh, but maybe one way to be able to measure the impact of such processes would be just to set a benchmark for it. I'm thinking of uh, uh, very bluntly a set of indicators, like 15 to 20 indicators. Some of you, uh, some of those might be uh, pulled out from the conclusions which uh, Vasilis presented about the project. And this way, maybe it can be a tool through which somebody who does participatory budgeting no matter at which level but is able to cross-reference uh, the result and maybe also to it will incentivize uh, coordinators to measure the impact of uh, any kind of pb process at local level and then if i would imagine this at eu level if it will be a kind of uh, 
uh, willful reporting on these indicators, which can be uh, collected, gathered, and analyzed by somebody at a higher level, European level, then maybe uh, one would be able to demonstrate the, the impact of this tool, basically, and various forms of this tool, because there might be multiple versions of it. Uh, but to explain the, the effect of this tool about the very things uh, were mentioned by, by several of you, meaning the, the surgence of uh, extremist views and how this can actually enable meaningful debates, um, I don't know, make, to, make people to think more critically about some of the issues and uh, uh, having the chance to really understand the context, even if it's about uh, available budgets and resources. So maybe this would be something which uh, we collectively could, could take forward. I know that we were, uh, just with common inclusion now, we are in the process of defining some indicators of outcome and of impact, which could be measured during the next three years, but also after that, because the, the need is coming also from the fact that we need to understand what effects is this producing, not the outputs of our activities, but actually the outcomes on the beneficiaries uh, and stakeholders, and then the impact which is going beyond uh, our own process. So maybe this would be something which could be taken forward. And I'm most certain that this is something where all of us, uh, meaning the you know the public institutions, the European level governance, the European level decision making, the local actors uh, uh, need to be involved because this is the the best way to define them and then to follow up on them. Perfect. Thank you so much. And now I pass to Carol. Please, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just a, a final couple of words. Um, we've we've um, basically, you know, said said it already. Um, but just to to emphasise, as we all know, we're we're at a watershed moment, um, you know, for our d democracy. Um, now we know what's ahead of us. We know what the um, the the signs are um, with regards to what to expect um, from the next um, EP elections. Um, so you know, we um, time is not on on our side. You know, to that extent, but I did want to, to say we've all we've um, flagged up the issue of representative democracy um, um, as opposed to or alongside deliberative, um, you know, democracy um, uh, processes. Um, and as already been said, it's not uh, an either or. Um, it's crucial that we make space. Um, and that we understand that um, our citizens expect to have the opportunity to um, to, to influence and to shape in between those um, those critical moments um, of elections. So, um, uh, whatever can be done now to support and um, um, better better laws, um, you know, the um, uh, improvement for citizens' lives, um, that, that citizens can see that the changes that are taking place and that, and that they can um, uh, basically shape those. We need to, to take that seriously now and we need to look at and to see different examples of what works, um, or what works well, um, and to look to see how we can take those forward because time um, time is not on our side. Um, and as far as um, we as local and regional governments are concerned uh, in supporting um, you know, the improvement of our citizens' lives. All I would say is that we continue to, um, we talked about the have your say as a tool, of course, to, to shape 
um, uh, policies, EU policies, and it's somewhere that we particularly feel needs to be strengthened in terms of how um, uh, we can actually influence and shape EU policies that necessarily need to um, show it's the, the benefits, the beneficiaries on the ground. So we will continue to act on that score um, for, from our uh, perspective particularly for the next commission to make sure that those tools uh, are working well. Um, so both from the, the um, strengthening representative democracy, but making sure that we can take forward and elevate uh, citizens' voices, um, which are um, more necessary than, than ever before, um, because we, we can't wait basically now. We're in, a, we're in a critical moment and we need to act. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please, Helmut, uh, your turn. I try to be as short as possible. I would say the whole di discussion shows we should learning by doing. So we should not hesitate to go further in the direction. But of course, also this participatory democracy is happening in a concrete time frame, in a concrete uh, locations frame. We are discussing the rule of law in the European Union and its member states. So you could even undermine the rule of law of the European Union and have a participatory democracy participation of citizens in the de decision making at the municipal, local, regional or national level. So the question is that we always should really provide guidance also to participants in which way we want to have to achieve a, a commonly described aim and by that giving also the citizens understanding um, uh, how they in, 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 in which means they should participate in this decision making and i think that is also very important for so the transparency the the, the 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 defense of the rule of law inside the european union uh, the rule-based structures is so important because otherwise uh, we could also have a, 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 the, the, the challenge and the, 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 the danger that um, also this budgeting under the discussions with citizens leads to different uh, orientations. So in a certain way uh, it is also a question about the political coherence, the political understanding why we are integrating ourselves, what is the aim of the European integration and why we are working together cross-border, etc. And that is linking the participatory democracy from the municipal to the European Union level. And here I would say really learning by doing, let's continue and to, to, to collect the different experiences. And uh, I hope that our discussion today is leading also to a new step in this direction. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Helmut. Uh, now to uh, Edward, please. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to join this debate and uh, to exchange with, uh, with colleagues on this uh, very interesting topic. Um, I think we all agree that citizens' engagement um, is essential at all levels, also at EU level. And um, this is why uh, we have doubled down uh, on it by creating the new platform that my colleague uh, Gaëlle spoke about and the citizens panels, in addition to the other initiatives already on the table, such as the Have Your Say portal. Um, and specifically for financial matters, uh, 
we also have to recognize that uh, the, the potential of uh, participatory budgeting to empower communities. And that we've seen notably in the implementation of cohesion funds. Uh, we've seen that it makes a difference. Um, and i um, very happy that uh, this topic is in the spotlight. And I'm sure it's not the last uh, occasion that we'll have to, to uh, have an exchange of views on it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Edward. I just take the opportunity to thank you all for this meaningful debate on a topic that unfortunately is not in everyday media, but it actually should be because how we handle democracy and how we want to see citizens participating and contributing to the public life is a central matter, in particular now that uh, 4 billion people are going to vote this year around the world? Well, this is a very pressure uh, issue. So thank you so much. And I hope to see you all soon, uh, both uh, who listen to us and the panelists in uh, future Iraq team event. Uh, goodbye.